0: welcome to the diabetics doing things podcast we've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015 and we have over a thousand years of living with t1d on the podcast the interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories and we celebrate them all just the same Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello everyone, it's Rob Howe here, welcome back. Now, you guys all know that I love all my episodes, and I often say so in these intros, but this one is especially, especially, forgot how to talk, too many cups of coffee this morning, especially important to me because it's my good friend, Jeremy Robertson, who first appeared on this podcast in 2017 on episode 38, uh, Diabetics Doing Aviation. Definitely one of my favorite interviews. I remember coming away from it just feeling like I was better off for having met this person and talking to this person. And Jeremy has since become a friend, stayed with me in 2018 uh, with Erica and I here in Dallas, coming to an aviation conference. And Jeremy is also one of my favorite stories. uh, His story is one of my favorite stories to tell when I go speak at conferences during my talk, Tools of Type 1s. So uh, if you're coming to see me at a conference uh, in 2020, uh, expect that you're going to hear more about Jeremy because he's just an awesome guy. So here's kind of where the world's all come together. So last week, Oren Lieberman, who was also on the diabetics doing things podcast, who was on episode 60, he's the CNN correspondent and he's actually based in Jerusalem, but he is a recreational pilot as well and he released a story on October 31st on Halloween that the FAA was going to allow pilots with diabetes to fly commercial jets. Now, up until this point in the US and many other countries, Uh, Getting type 1 diabetes as a commercial pilot would not let you qualify for your class 1 medical, which means you could not fly uh, if you were insulin dependent. Uh, And last week, uh, October 31st, 2019, the FAA voted to allow pilots with diabetes who were insulin dependent to fly commercial jets. Uh, That is incredible. So Jeremy joins the pod to talk a little bit about what he's been up to and also what this means for pilots with diabetes and how he feels about the FAA's ruling and if other governing bodies overseas, if he expects them to follow suit in, uh, in, the, in the relatively new future. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Jeremy's one of my favorite people. He's super insightful and just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite people to interview and just be friends with. I'm so fortunate. So enjoy this conversation with Jeremy Robertson. Hello again, ladies and gents. Today I have a very cool diabetes sponsor I'd like to tell you about Companion Medical, specifically the Companion Medical InPen. When I talk to people who use multiple daily injections to treat their diabetes, one of the things that often comes up is the lack of data they're able to see about dosing, daily insulin totals, etc. In fact, Companion Medical discovered that only 7% of people who use insulin are using insulin pump therapy to control their diabetes. So Companion Medical decided to bring pump benefits to insulin pen users with the InPen. The InPen is an FDA-cleared smart insulin pen and app that gives patients the tools to manage their multiple daily injections. The InPen is compatible with the Lilly and Novolog pre-filled insulin cartridges and single-use disposable needles. Those are not included with the InPen, but that is what is compatible with it. Using the information transmitted from the pen itself, the Companion Medical app can track insulin therapy, calculate doses, share data with your doctor and family right on your smartphone. The best part is the InPen pen is covered as a pharmacy benefit under most insurance plans. Currently, you pay no more than $35 for the InPen pen with a special copay assistance program. So, if you're on multiple daily injections or just thinking about taking a break from your pump therapy and don't want to lose all the features that come with using a pump, talk to your doctor about Companion Medical in pen and visit companionmedical.com for more information. Okay, so we are live. Welcome back to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. Uh, I have a... Awesome awesome guest today, one of my favorite people that I've met, and I'm putting you on the spot right now while we're on the air, Jeremy Robertson, <laughs> uh, who is from the first episode of Diabetics Doing Aviation that we did back in 2017. seems like seems like just yesterday I, w- I remember like recording it at my parents' house, uh, which was uncharacteristic of most of the episodes. and and then Jeremy, you came to visit Erica and I in 2018. Um, got to meet our uh, our little brood of animals uh, that we have in Dallas, and then uh, we have some really exciting news to cover today, which is rare for the podcast. But Jeremy, what's up, man? Uh, are you tired of me hyping you up at JDRF events <laughs> throughout the U.S. or what?
1: Well, I've I've just got big shoes to fill. I think uh, if I'm lucky enough to meet any of those people, I, I hope I live up to the picture that you've built in their minds of me. <laughs>
0: Hey, uh, no hyperbole, but I, but I do. Uh, hey, I just, I just tell, call it like I see it, and uh, you know, you're just, you're one of my favorite folks, really. I, I mean that. So I'm excited to uh, get you back on the pod. If that's a good excuse, if that's what it takes to uh, to get you on the phone, that's that's a great excuse.
1: Absolutely. Well, I must say, I'm very excited to be here. I mean, it's it's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, and staying with you guys and getting to bond with your cat. Last year was a real highlight. Um, so, well, Erica yeah.
0: told me to tell you uh, that we have new bedding in the guest room and that uh, the cat, Michael, has not vomited on that uh, bed since you left. So that's uh, we got a good streak going.
1: That's very uncharacteristic for a cat.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, just just trying to make you feel welcome. That's all it was. So, um, obviously what, to give us a little bit of background of what you've been up to. I know that, uh, obviously you are practicing medicine, uh, but you're also flying and flying some skydiving, uh, flights if I'm not mistaken, uh, throughout Australia.
1: Yeah. Well, I think since I've, since I saw you at the beginning of last year, um, my main job has been working three days a week in the emergency department at one of my local hospitals and, uh. So I'm an emergency medicine resident, uh, which is you know a very junior doctor in the scheme of things. Uh, and you know, the emergency medicine work is always interesting. Um, it runs at a pretty fast pace, and the shift work is pretty rough. Um, but that's been a that's been a good test for my diabetes. You know, it gives some some good data on showing that sleep deprivation, various stress levels, various activity levels, etc. You know, I can still keep on top of it with the help of a a good CGM. Um, So that's definitely been one busy aspect of my life. Uh, Yes, I still fly once a fortnight for one of the local skydive companies. And uh, for those of you that follow me on Instagram, that's uh, the beautiful photographs of the the Lake Macquarie area that's about an hour and a half north of Sydney. That's all the, the fantastic photos that come from that part of the world. And that's just a great fun job. So, you know, everyone... At work is there to have fun, and the people you meet, uh, the screams that come out of them, uh, never a dull moment. Uh, so that's you know that's good fun that keeps my hand up with some flying, and uh, and the other thing that I think I've really picked up since I saw you last was I've started work as uh, an aviation medical examiner, and that kind of segues into what we're going to talk about today, and that's uh, you know pilots require a medical to maintain their pilot license and depending on what type of pilot license they hold that dictates how frequently they need to see a doctor and what uh, i guess what depth that medical exam goes into Uh, so i qualified to do that here in australia and i've been working in that i just set myself up a little business uh, just a one-man band so i've been doing that on a regular basis and once a month i actually fly myself around four country towns in uh, in regional new south wales because all those country towns have lots of pilots living there, but they don't have a local aviation medical examiner. Uh, so I kind of provide a, a fly-in, fly-out service for those pilots once a month, and that's fantastic because it it sort of combines all my professional skills and knowledge, uh, gets me out flying, gets me out of the big city, which I love, and uh, yeah, and gets me meeting a whole bunch of interesting people. So that's uh, you know that's been my professional life for the last 18 months, and. Uh, life at home carries on, you know, two little kids are growing up fast, they're five and eight, and uh, uh, my wife, yeah, she works, like me, she works multiple jobs part-time, so uh, we're always juggling work and children and family life and, uh, and that sort of thing, but no, on, on the whole, life is interesting and varied and, and going well.
0: Well, I, I love to hear that, uh, and I also, you know, when I, when I give my talks at JDRF events or you know other summits throughout the country, uh, you're one of the one of the people that I highlight, mostly because I love your story, uh, and it's so cool that you're getting to use your two professions and your two passions, obviously practicing medicine and flying, uh, and then also able to do good for some country pilots who you know don't have anybody to you know do their medical.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I mean it's a it really is a, a win-win. <laughs> there's, there's no bad thing about it. It's great fun.
0: Gotta love it. So, all right, I guess we can kind of get to the matter at hand here. Um, our, our, fri- our mutual friend, Oren Lieberman, who has been on the podcast, uh, I believe he may have referenced that he, you know, enjoyed flying in his spare time, but I, I did not classify him among the type 1 diabetic pilots that I knew uh, until this week. But he broke the story for CNN that the FAA, Federal Aviation Association, is set to allow pilots with insulin-treated diabetes, so we'll make that distinction as type 1 and type 2, just insulin-treated, to fly commercial airliners, which is a huge deal.
1: It is. Um, There have been a large number of pilots in the U.S. that have been pushing for this change for years. And I guess the background to this is that... um, 20 years ago, anywhere in the world, any type of uh, diabetes that required insulin therapy meant that you were unable to hold any level of aviation medical. So that precru- precluded you from uh, private flying and commercial flying. And in the late 90s, uh, that, that changed in, um, I guess, it was all about the same thing. Late 90s through to the early noughties, Changes started to happen in Canada, in the U.S., and in the U.K. Um, Canada was actually the first country to allow insulin-treated pilots back into a commercial flight deck, and that's been happening for almost 15 years now, um, if not longer, actually. The U.K. followed suit with that uh, six or seven years ago, and Australia and the U.S., have allowed private flying for pilots requiring insulin treat. So, it's been gradually changing, but it's, uh, yeah. The, the big news is the US has uh, published a new protocol which allows insulin treated pilots, uh, as you say, back into the, the cockpit of commercial jets. So, the and that's class one certification really is the, the language. Um, and it's really exciting. It's, uh, I mean, you and I know that the rate of change in the technology around the management of diabetes has been phenomenal in the last decade. Uh, I love your phrase, the, uh, the T1D renaissance. Um, and what the FAA is, that's the, the Federal Aviation Administration, which is the US uh, government body that makes the rules for anything to do with flying. Uh, what they've recognised is that with CGM use, that diabetes can be managed to a point where your incapacitation risk is low enough that it meets the standard required for commercial flying. And I guess I should probably talk about aviation medicine a little bit and, and the reason why insulin treatment has never been allowed in the past.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, really, aviation medicine, just it boils down to incapacitation risk. You know, you don't want your pilots to become incapacitated. That's that's kind of common sense. Um,
0: I and, guess i've I've never I've never thought of it that way, but yes, that's yeah. what I want from every flight I've ever been on.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's you know you can't you can't make an absolute rule. You know, pilots will become incapacitated. You know that it's humans. Things things break. People people fail. But uh, you know and the only way to make the risk absolute is to not have people in the uh, in the cockpit and that that doesn't work yet I mean maybe one day but not at the moment so with any medical condition what aviation medical authorities are looking for is that the risk of incapacitation is low enough that it meets an acceptable threshold uh, some countries will actually look at specific percentages uh, others look for specific medical literature on various conditions. Um, I'll speak about Australia because they usually quantify the risk. And what uh, if you have a medical condition and that's any medical condition that has more than a 4% per annum risk of incapacitation, generally you won't be able to hold any form of aviation medical, be it for private flying or commercial flying. If your risk falls in the two to four percent per annum band, you'll probably be able to hold a medical certificate that allows you to fly privately. Uh, but they may put a condition on it, like they may want you to fly with another pilot. If your medical condition has a uh, you know a one to two percent per annum risk of incapacitation, generally you'll be able to get a commercial level or a class one medical. But again, it'll probably be restricted to flying with another pilot. Like in most big airlines, there's always two pilots. Uh, and if you want to have a you know, a clean class one with no restrictions on it, you generally need to have a medical condition with a less than 1% per annum risk of incapacitation. So that that's how it works in Australia, and that's broadly applicable to, to most countries around the world.
0: So when we're talking about percentages and uh, and the associative chronic conditions or medical conditions uh, associated with losing consciousness or, um, you know, being incapacitated, uh, what are the most common, I, su- I suppose, that you would see uh, in pilots?
1: Well, I mean, it, you know, pilots mirror the general population. Sure, so sure. Uh,
0: when you're doing it, airline the, medicals, I suppose.
1: Yeah. The, the The things that get screened for very closely are cardiac risk, so the risk of heart attack, uh, so pilots who have their annual medicals, uh, you know, I looked at very closely from a, a cholesterol, um, a weight, and a, you know, a, you know ECG or EKG point of view, um, to try and quantify what their cardiac risk is. And above a certain age, you know, your, your risk increases with age. Um, so as pilots get older, they get looked at more closely. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's one example of, of things that uh, I looked at closely but yeah in my work as an aviation medical examiner yeah one of the things I love about it is you see everything um, mm. and it's it's very interesting to see how the authorities manage the risk associated with, with just about any medical condition uh, and I know that when I'm in capacitation everyone thinks straight away of a pilot you know, passing out or dying at the controls but Incapacitation can be anything that means that you can't function at your optimum. And an excellent example with diabetes is, you know, you and I know that when our blood sugar level is a little bit low, we start to get you know, irritated, we start to have difficulty focusing, uh, you know, on you know, mentally focusing, uh, but we're not unconscious. So that's a, a form of subtle incapacitation. So that that's a type of incapacitation that needs to be uh, considered when you're thinking about any medical condition, uh, not just the you know the overt incapacitation.
0: Certainly. So, and I think many you know people who are behind the wheel of a car, for example, would identify with you know sweaty palms, uh, you know feeling a little bit drowsy, irritated, um, you know inability to focus. Uh, Feeling a little bit of that sort of vertigo, I guess, is a a good way to describe it. So obviously, like when you're flying, that that can be that partial incapacitation, I suppose, uh, clearly like puts you at you and the crew and passengers potentially at risk. So they want to mitigate that. And I think I'm quoting Mm -hmm. the... uh, the FAA statement in the in Oren's article where they said advancement in technology and diabetes medical science have allowed the FAA to develop an evidence based protocol on the risks associated with people with diabetes flying. Um, and then I also just kind of reading some other uh, some articles the FAA I suppose lists instructions on how to deal with diabetic episodes in flight so they they have protocols on on what to do and in, in some cases I saw even recommending what kind of candy to treat your blood sugar with—is it does that sound familiar to you?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's interesting looking at the new protocol versus the, the 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 one that's been in practice for the last few years uh, because it's only been for private flying. Um, yeah, they they make recommendations about what to do in flight. Um, but the new protocol is actually, it's noticeably absent that they tell you what to do in flight. And I think that's one of the things I like about it is that the, the thrust of it is that if you can jump through all the hoops to get certified, we feel that the day-to-day way that you manage your diabetes means that your risk is low enough that you just keep doing what you're doing and do it while you're flying an aeroplane. So they don't actually specify what to do in certain scenarios if your blood sugar level is too high or too low or or what uh, yeah, what candy you should eat. Um, whereas previously they, they did do that. And in contrast to um, here in Australia, yeah, the protocol that I fly under is very prescriptive. Uh, it, it provides very clear instructions about what I need to do should my blood sugar level be above or below a certain threshold. Um, and, you know, that's, there are aspects to that that I disagree with uh, because it's not how I would manage my diabetes normally. Um, so, and again, as diabetics, we know that we are more stable if we do things the same way uh, or the way that we're used to. Yeah, you know, that makes our diabetes more predictable. Uh, so that that's a change in this current protocol that I'm, I'm very pleased with.
0: So, for, you know, for you... Um, give me your response. I think this, this was for, and this is just my own understanding. And I think like observation from afar, but it seemed like this announcement and change, especially the speed of it, uh, was a, a big surprise to the community. Uh, uh, so what was, what was your response when you heard, uh, the news?
1: Um, I was Ecstatic, I guess (laughs) it's you know, it's a a huge step forward for a a body as um, You know aviation medicine is notoriously conservative uh, so for a country the size of the u.s. uh, for their authority to Feel that this is appropriate is a fantastic step forward Uh, And hopefully it, it serves to to lead the rest of the world in this area um, and,
0: and that's fairly so, typical yes, so, of, of the FAA. I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt you. That's fairly uh, typical of of the FAA governing body in the U.S. to sort of become the standard or statute of limitations, I suppose, or the the standard of care by which the other associations eventually adopt the protocols. Uh,
1: sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, the U.S. does do some things differently in aviation medicine. To To the rest of the world, but um, but generally, most I mean, all countries uh, are generally signatory to a uh, one of the UN bodies that governs aviation, and they have a they have a standard. Um, But each individual nation is allowed to have variations. Uh, So, yeah, previously the UK and and Canada have had variations from the international standard, and now the FAA. has a variation from the international standard. So it will be interesting to see if this drives a change to the international standard, uh, To because the three countries actually, their protocols are very different. Uh, so it would be nice to, to see some unified change eventually. And I think, yeah, yeah, the US is a big country when it comes to aviation. So uh, they, they do get listened to. Um, so ho- hopefully hopefully, yes, it makes some change internationally. Um, But going back to your your previous question about the speed of it, uh, I think, yes, it was a surprise how quickly it got from the FAA through the Department of Transport uh, upper echelons and then to be released. But it's been a work in progress with the FAA for many, many years. Um, You know, the, the initial... Indications from the FAA that they would be making a change in this area, I think, came over five or six years ago, Uh, and there have been a lot of pilots that have been very frustrated about the lack of progress in this area. Uh, So, yeah, there was a large number of people who have been very happy about about the change, you know, feeling that it's long overdue.
0: I'm proud to introduce Companion Medical as a sponsor of this podcast, and I have just a few questions for you. Are you on a regimen of multiple daily injections, but want to automatically record and store insulin doses, keep track of active insulin, calculate mealtime and correction doses, get reminders about dosing, have robust reporting you can share with your doctor or family, integrate your CGM data via an app, then you need the n from Companion Medical. The n is available in the United States and is covered as a pharmacy benefit under most insurance plans. Currently, you pay no more than thirty-five dollars for an inpen with a special copay assistance program. The inpen is only available through a prescription, so be sure to talk to your doctor. Or for more information, visit companionmedical.com. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Well, and I and I know you had mentioned kind of before we got on uh, on the air, like some of the Facebook groups of other type one diabetic pilots that you're in. You know, give us a sense of the sentiment around, because, you know, those organi- there are organizations like Pilots with Diabetes, for example, who have been really vocal in advocating for type one diabetic pilots to get their wings back. Seeing this type of news, give us a sense of what that was like within that small, you know, very tight-knit community of T1D pilots.
1: Oh, uh, you know, quotes like, oh, yeah, I must be dreaming, or, you know, I've, I've just woken up to this news. Is this real? This is, you know, this is incredible. Um you know, Instagram posts of pilots that have been not flying for over a decade with their, you know, their current study notes up saying, you yeah, I'm, I'm getting back into it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's really amazing. This is a one of those life-changing events for, uh, you know, this very niche community of, of pilots requiring insulin.
0: Well, and, you know, for you, and, and, and I you know, apologize if I put you on the spot with this, but, you know, it's an (laughs) understatement to say that your life changed from the time you were, you know, in your early 30s, diagnosed with type 1, flying commercially for Qantas Airlines. Like, you know, your life took a drastic turn and that's an understatement. And so now... Mm.
1: Yeah, I... I, uh, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Reliving it, it was... Uh, yeah my diagnosis story I was in I was actually in Los Angeles I was in Riverside when I was diagnosed um, over there doing a training course and yeah I knew that my entire professional life had just stopped you know everything I'd worked for since the age of 15 and everything I'd achieved had just stopped and yeah I had no no idea, you know, it's just everything, everything's thrown into uncertainty. Um, and I can only imagine that that is a, an identical experience for any of the pilots in the US that had the same thing happen if they were, you know, diagnosed while they were established in their career. Um, and I guess there's two distinct groups that this change benefits. You know, there's those that were kicked out of their flying career because of type 1 diabetes. And there are those that have always wanted to fly, people that are born with a passion for flying, who have type one diabetes, for whom it's never been an option to even get into their career. Uh, you know, both those groups of people, this is uh, this is a life-changing uh, rule change. So,
0: well, and I know, and I know this is obviously like you know clearly important to you, and I think that's when I when I give my talks, I try to try to put people in, in the shoes of the person who's always dreamt of being a pilot, who has a passion for aviation. Uh, and then to be told that that can no longer be a part of their life at the scale that, that they wanted it to be uh, or mm-hmm. in, in your case, like your career. And now <clears throat> not only for, you know, people like you who will be, who will be diagnosed after their pilots in the future. And for people who are diagnosed young and, and have a passion to be pilots for that, prognosis of of their you know dreams to be changed I think the obviously the the ripple effects from that are are very drastic mm, um, yeah for you though i, I and i think I, I may be misquoting you or I may be uh paraphrasing that's all right but <laughs> from a conversation that we've had sometime in the past, I remember you saying you know you at least had some hope of of being back in the cockpit again on a commercial fight is that does this kind of uh, allow you to see that as a possibility? It does. It.
1: it I've always seen it as a, a long-term possibility. Just, just watching the technology change and the management change going on with diabetes, yeah, I can see a point in the future where it just becomes so manageable that the the incapacitation risk becomes managed away almost entirely, so that it becomes. Of the background noise of your incapacitation risk from any medical condition. Um, so I've always known it was, I've always felt strongly that it was going to happen, uh, but this announcement certainly brings the time frame much closer in my mind. So for me personally, you know, I, I live in Australia, so uh, I don't hold an American pilot's license, and um, You know, the the FAA change doesn't apply here in Australia. So right now, the only way that it would serve me any benefit is if I came over to the U.S., converted my air transport pilot licence to an American air transport pilot licence, got myself a a FAA Class 1 medical, and then that would allow me to fly commercially any aeroplane that is registered in the U.S., um, So for those aircraft spotters out there, you know that those little numbers and letters painted on the back of the aeroplane, in America they always start with the letter N, that's the national code for the US. Um, And there are a number of business jet operators that keep their aeroplanes registered in the US, but base them in other countries around the world. And there are some based here in Australia. So that would allow me to to fly in a commercial sense again. but that's a you know, That's a pretty big change to make to my my professional and personal life at the moment. So
0: sure, uh, maybe not in the maybe not in the plan for now.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I have to have a serious think about what I'm going to do going forward. But obviously, this is a change that I am also advocating strongly for here in Australia. Um, and whether this change in the U.S. impacts the rate of change here in Australia, uh, I don't know yet. But. Uh, if it does, being able to get my class one medical back in Australia with my Australian pilot licence certainly opens up uh, more options to me.
0: Well, and I'll- then I've
1: got decisions to make about what I do with my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Um- <laughs> not the least of which is like, what do you do you, with your medical schooling that you've spent the last part of your life <laughs> enduring yeah, right. and, ex- and excelling T-
1: at setting up this new career? What do I do with that? You know, I can't walk away from that. Sure. You know?
0: <laughs> well, I'll make you a, I'll make you a deal. Uh, if you decide you know, when this legislation takes place in Australia, and if you decide to do another flight, another commercial flight, I will buy a ticket on that flight guaranteed so whatever part fantastic. of the world that it's in just let me know and i'm on it
1: i will let you know so that, know.
0: that's just a you know uh, that's a those are bold words from a guy sitting in a hotel room <laughs> in minnesota right now but uh that uh, that's something that uh you know i i would want to celebrate with you if that time ever comes
1: yeah no that'd be fantastic to have you on board that'd be my pleasure mm.
0: uh, speaking of on board so um <laughs> The the type 1 diabe- diabetes pilot community is one of my favorites. I think it's, it's small, but you guys are mighty, and also you just love flying. Uh, I recently got to take a flight with Jerry Brzezowski uh, from Dallas to Houston and back, uh, and I know you've you've also been in that seat. Um, yeah,
1: Jerry was very, very kind enough to fly me from Austin back to Dallas early last year, and that was... Just an absolute highlight of that trip. Uh, so uh, yeah, a big shout out to to Dr. Jerry for for making that happen. That was fantastic fun.
0: And I think I think for me, you know, just seeing you know going through that pre-flight ch- pre-flight checklist and then, you know, seeing you know the, how the blood sugar checks and the CGM checks work into that. Uh, it was cool to be a part of and also when you're flying in those small planes like it's just you and then the plane and then the sky It was a totally yeah. different aviation experience
1: Yeah, it's not like you're in a big building that's moving through the air You're actually it's a yeah, much more visceral experience in the light aircraft It's uh, Yeah, it's fantastic fun uh,
0: Yeah, and it was good. I, I got to fly both ways with uh, with a plane full of people with diabetes So that was uh, awesome that was, a, that was a really cool experience. And so I got, I got a little taste of uh, how you guys get the aviation bug. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you are advocating um, in Australia for similar uh, legislation change, I guess I would call it policy change. Um, yeah, yeah. For people who you know want more information on that, or or want to get involved somehow, what what are the resources that you can point them to, or you know what can you tell us about the conversations that you're having?
1: Well, I guess uh, the conversations that I'm having here in Australia at the moment. Um, so unfortunately, the, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority here in Australia—that's our equivalent of the FAA. Um, their medical department has, has undergone a huge turnover of staff in the last twelve months, so they just haven't had the capacity to to do anything other than their core business, which is you know, processing the medical renewals. Um, so, you know, twelve to eighteen months ago, I was receiving some moderately positive feedback about the change that I was proposing, uh, but all that just ground to a halt. Unfortunately, um, they're now back at full staffing strength and. I'm due to submit my annual medical renewal in January Uh, so I'm just going to start the conversation again and we will see where we go but in the meantime you know that that delay I guess uh, I mean number one it's allowed the FAA to release their protocol which is fantastic but number two here in Australia it's allowed me to uh, to get in touch with the Australian Diabetes Association uh, who are working on a position paper on any safety critical occupation, and how diabetes can be managed uh, in that. So that that position paper will have a, a, a section on aviation, and hopefully that will be released in the next um, in the next few months. And that's a pretty powerful recommendation to have uh, that when you're requesting any change, um, because the endocrinologists that I've been talking to. In the association are fairly clearly of the viewpoint that hypoglycemia risk can absolutely be um, managed with a you know a cgm and definitely with the, the newer generation insulin pumps uh, so, so that's a yeah you know, that's been a, a one positive that's come out of the last 12 months and um and it's allowed me to, to gather another 12 months of my own data, you know, as part of my submission for my annual renewal for my private license, I have to actually submit every single blood sugar level reading for my entire year, not just while I'm flying, all day, every day, um, as well as my data whilst I've been flying. Uh, so since I started flying again, I think I've clocked over 750 flying hours with type 1 diabetes. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's starting to get to be a very useful data pool to support you know, My personal case. Um, so, and as far as getting in touch, uh, you know, my people can always find me through Instagram. That's probably the best one. Uh, type one pilot. There's actually there's a bunch of type one pilots on Instagram now. It's fantastic. Um, but I'm the one that's in Australia, so that's how you'll differentiate me from the others. Uh, and I'm I'm always happy to talk to uh, to pilots with diabetes. So, if anyone's got any questions please get in touch. Um, and actually, I, I just want to go back in the conversation a little bit when we were talking about the, the groups of people that are going to benefit from this kind of rule change. Of course. And, you know, one of your fantastic posts recently was about you know, all kinds of diabetics, uh, you know, looking out for each other. Doesn't doesn't know what type of diabetes you've got. So, you know, you and I, everyone knows that type 1 diabetics, we're kind of a minority group. In diabetes we we often stand in the shadow of of type 2 diabetes Uh, and pilots with type 1 diabetes again are a very very niche subset of that and as I was saying earlier now pilots tend to mimic the general population with the the prevalent health problems type 2 diabetes is on the rise in the pilot population and at the moment you know The way you treat type 2 diabetes, initially, you know, lifestyle changes, then moving on to uh, oral tablets, and then eventually progressing to insulin if those two previous treatment regimes don't work. So for the professional pilots out there, progression to insulin isn't an option because that would end their career. And this rule change in the States means that that's no longer the case. So what that means is there are a subset of type 2 diabetic pilots out there who are probably pushing the limits of how effectively they can manage their disease without insulin, who can now receive insulin treatment or receive insulin treatment earlier, which is going to better manage their disease and hopefully keep them healthier and give them a longer flying career. And my gut feeling is that this rule change is actually going to benefit more type 2 Pilots than type 1 pilots, even though it's the type 1 pilots out there that have been making the noise and, and advocating for the change uh, simply because of the numbers.
0: Well, uh, and like you mentioned, it's got to be better for their long term health outcomes. Yeah, uh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So, and, then, and that's it's going to be interesting getting this change, you know, the news of this change out to that group of pilots um, because they're not. They're not generally uh, linked in with the pilots with diabetes groups because generally it's the type 1s. Um, so I think that's, you know, the rule change is going to have to be advertised some other way to get, uh, you know, get publicized to that group of pilots.
0: You know, you, you bring up a good point, kind of reaching the, uh, what I call them, like the silent majority of people with diabetes. And it applies, in a sense, to type 1s as well. I think there's you know, a very active, very informed, very engaged group on Instagram that maybe makes up a 100,000 people worldwide. Um, yeah. And, you know, you look at the numbers and that's significantly lower than the total number of people. Um, Absolutely. And then, you know, on the type two side, I think it's even more uh, of a gap between the people who are involved on social media versus the people mm. who are not. Um, and I, And I thought, you know, when... This, this news was released on CNN, which, you know, obviously a major worldwide media outlet, worldwide media outlet uh, from a person with diabetes and Orrin Lieberman. And I thought, you know, what a great, you know, what a great announcement, A, but then also yeah. what a great way for t- diabetes in general to be featured uh, on a major news outlet in a yes. way that it's typically that, that's not a story you hear very often.
1: Yeah, there's very rarely good news stories when it comes to diabetes of any form. It's usually, you know, the, the doom and gloom, the, the the diabetes epidemic and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I agree. Fantastic, fantastic, uh, positive news. Um, I forwarded that article to my wife and she asked me what on earth the, the Jerusalem consultant, sorry, the, the Jerusalem correspondent <laughs> for CNN was doing writing about flying and diabetes. And... uh Until I pointed out that, yeah, Oren's a a private pilot with type 1 diabetes.
0: Yeah, it's kind (laughs) of like right in his wheelhouse. (laughs) Totally. totally. Uh, Well, Jeremy, uh, man, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, Of Of course. course You come come on the podcast and you just hit home run after home run with soundbite after soundbite. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, Any parting thoughts or... uh, you know things that we should be on the lookout for, or things that you got coming up that we should know about.
1: Um, no, I don't really have any huge exciting plans at the moment. Uh, there's always I'm always plotting and scheming to do interesting types of flights to promote the fact that yeah, you know, type one diabetes is not uh, an impediment to me flying safely. Um, but. But, yeah, no no real massive announcements. I mean, World Diabetes Day is only a few days away, so I'll be taking some uh, some friends up over Sydney for a scenic flight. Um, so, yeah, trying to get a, a plane load of people with type 1 diabetes to go for a scenic flight because that's oh, always how fun. how fun is that? Yeah, it's great fun because um, I love sharing flying with anyone, but uh, in particular, uh, fellow type 1s, it's it's extra special. So that's probably the, the most exciting immediate thing that i've got going on in that space um but then otherwise yeah it's just uh just chipping away at getting the rules changed here in australia and if and when that happens uh i will well i promised iron that i'd give him the scoop on that but i'll certainly be letting you know as well
0: well uh i appreciate that (laughs) and you know if it's another excuse to get you back on the podcast i'll take it
1: absolutely i'm always happy to be back and uh uh and always happy to watch my Instagram go berserk when you uh, when you mention me at a presentation.
0: <laughs> well, this this won't release until after my next talk, but um, you know, I, I just hope you get ten, fifteen new followers or so every time that I uh, that I plug you in my presentation because it's a, it's a great story, and uh, obviously you're you're a great friend, and I'm happy to do it. Uh, you make me look good uh, by telling your story, so uh, <laughs> very much appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's always, the timing always works out that you. You must be speaking sort of in the wee small hours of the morning here in australia because i wake up and uh you know my phone i can see all the notifications that have come in and people sending me messages and stuff and it's yeah it's always fantastic to connect with other people with type 1 diabetes over there and you know have quick conversations with them and uh yeah it's it's the wonderful thing about social media just that uh, that connectedness we have for this funny obscure disease that uh, can otherwise be so isolating so it, it's, a great, it's a wonderful
0: thing it's a great way it's a great excuse to get together w- with friends online and uh for the first time you mentioned the time difference uh, i was on the west coast of the u.s and normally i speak in sort of the mid-morning hours uh, at type one nation events this one was more in the afternoon so west coast combined mm. with afternoon uh, so the first person uh you know, I, I made a joke uh, about you always message me when uh, I'm giving these talks and, and joke about how people are following you. And someone from the crowd was like, hey, Jeremy says hello. Uh, and so that that made my day. That was uh, that was super funny. I was, I was glad we were able to make that happen in real time.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah me too. That's fantastic.
0: All right, my friend. Well, hello to your family. Uh, and thanks so much. And uh, I can't wait to see, uh, get you back on the pod when Australia... Uh, follows the FAA's lead and and gets those type 1 diabetes pilots uh, or insulin-dependent pilots back uh, back on their class 1 medical.
1: Indeed, yeah. Fantastic, as always, to talk to you, and I will definitely let you know.
0: ...as far, and I have a lot of really great stuff coming up in the future. Uh, So I'm going to do something that I haven't asked before. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast, uh, A, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast, just so you get the notifications whenever we publish new episodes, because if you've been listening for a while, you know I don't always publish them consistently. Sometimes I'll publish five in a week, sometimes it'll be only a couple in a month, and you need to know when these episodes drop, so be sure to subscribe. And if you like the podcast, be sure to go to your preferred platform, like iTunes, and leave a review. I would love to boost my reviews, and I've never asked you guys to do that before, so I figured... You don't ask you don't get I would love a review from you so I want to hear from you there also we are now available on Spotify turns out I was just submitting it to Spotify incorrectly but I corrected that so now we're on Spotify so if that's your preferred listening platform be sure to subscribe on there also just want to let you know that in 2019 we have an awesome new program coming called tools of type ones it's going to be on this podcast so You don't have to subscribe anywhere new, but it's going to be an entirely new form of programming with some of your favorite type one personalities. So they're going to be two a week starting January 8th. Be sure to tune in and I'm going to blast all the messaging I can all around. So be sure to listen to Tools of Type Ones launching January 8th. And thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast.